0: Good morning. Welcome on in to the Zone Sports Network, 97.5 FM, 1280 AM. I am PK coming to you on this Wednesday morning. Thanks for listening to the DJ and PK show. We've got some football for you for sure. Jazz got a game tonight. We'll hit it all. Stay with us. Appreciate you listening. Right now, we're going to talk a little BYU football. Let you hear from the defensive coordinator Eliza Tuiyaki. And first, we're going to hear from defensive lineman Caden Halls of BYU. Caden, uh, you guys aren't uh, used to much losing
1: uh, in this program as of the last few years. What's been the morale uh, through the first two practices of the team uh, coming back from a loss?
2: Um, you know, I think everybody's ready to go. Um, you know, losing to Boise was tough, but. Uh, you know, everybody everybody fought till the end, and that's kind of been the, I guess, the morale heading into practice this week is that you know, we're here to fight, and we're excited to you know get to go play Baylor this week. So ready to fight.
1: What uh, can be done to to get off the field on third downs?
2: There's there's a lot of things. Um, you know, we can we can do a little bit better, um, not letting those three to four yard runs leak through on first and second down. Um, you know, I feel like we're, our uh, corners are playing good coverage, um, you know, had a couple penalties this last game, but they're being aggressive, just like you talked about, um, playing some more man coverage. And it's just something that has to come together. And, um, you know, that's one of our goals this week is to be able to get off the field on third down, so.
1: And just last thing for me, what, what do you make of this Baylor offense? They've been pretty explosive th- this year thus far. Uh What have you, what do you know about them? And what do you, what are your impressions of the bears?
2: Um, No, just like you said, they're, they're explosive. Um, You know, got a lot of, a lot of respect for coach Grimes and Mateos and um, those guys are, you know, definitely gonna be well coached and and we're just looking forward to the opportunity to, uh, to get to play them this week. So got a couple things that we've been working on to improve and uh, they're excited to show, show that against Baylor. So
3: Caden, Teams seem to have tried to attack you on the ground by pulling guys, bringing, bringing linemen around the edge. Or what does the defensive line have to do to make that become less effective? Because that does seem to be how, how teams are trying to go after you.
2: Yeah, that happened uh, a lot against Boise State. Um, you know, it's just it's just a little bit of a different read for us. Um, maybe, you know, play a little bit further off the ball or um, just so you can see a little bit better, things like that. But it's um, you know something that we've worked on a little bit more after Boise State. You know, making corrections in the in the meeting room, and um, you know, just uh, just need to watch a little bit more film, maybe, and um, give ourselves maybe a little bit more time to to make those reads and decisions to um, be able to get play side if you know someone's trying to block down on you, and and be able to pop over. So just a couple little things to to work on to correct. So.
3: You touched on this just a second ago, but you're going up against a a Jeff Grimes offensive line. You obviously know Grimey know what he does with offensive linemen and now you're facing one. What, uh, what does he do so well? What makes the offensive line so effective and, and how do you counter that, you know, going into this game?
2: Um, yeah, no, like I said, they're, they're really well coached. Um, I think I remember hearing week one, they had one of the highest grades in the country as an offensive line. Um, you know, and, and Coach Grimes teaches O-line technique probably better than almost anybody in, in the country. Um, he's up there, you know, with Sam Pittman and those guys. And uh, so, t- I mean, to combat that, I mean, it helps that we know a little bit of what they do. You know, they run a lot of zone, um, have a couple of change-ups with it. But so that helps us. And just knowing how they play just helps us to prepare. Um, but, no, it's we'll have to play smart because, like I said, you know, they're really well coached, very technical. And, um, you know, Coach Mateos does a great job with them as well. So.
4: Jay, go ahead. Caden, I know you were recruited to BYU as an offensive lineman, I think from a high school team that never punted. That's <laughs> correct. Yeah. But take us through that. How did it come to be that you switched over to defense?
2: Um, it, was actually, it was actually kind of funny. He uh, just saw me in the weight room one day and asked if I'd ever thought about playing defense, and I kind of blew him off a little bit. I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm a center. I play center but, um, new to FCR head strength coach overheard. And he, you know, played D line at USC. And then, uh, I mean, excuse me, at, uh, at Cal and then for, um, the Seahawks for a couple of years, he overheard and um, was just in my ear for a couple of weeks about switching over. So I, uh, I gave it some thought and finally called my dad and talked on the phone for a while. And he was like, well, just the conclusion of that conversation as well, I guess go see what Kalani thinks. Um, So I went and talked to Kalani and he was like, Oh dude, I wanted to switch you a year ago, go to defensive meetings today. So, and never look back. So that's, that's kind of how it happened. Kind of a funny story. Yeah, that's a good story.
4: So the, the bull rush you had, that was kind of a highlight uh, a few weeks ago, but just, is that kind of your specialty? Maybe where did you learn that from kind of Kyrus uh, Kyrus's influence on you?
2: Um, Yeah. I mean, I, you know, getting to play behind Kyrus last year was awesome. I, I was able to learn a ton from him. Um, you know, switching, I'd never played D-line before and uh, just before last year. So I'm still, you know, I'm still learning a lot of, of technical things, especially in the in the pass rush area. Um, that's just, I don't know, probably what I'm most comfortable with. Uh, I feel like I'm, you know, one of, one of the stronger guys and it's, it's worked pretty well for me, so.
4: Are you related to the Haws that played basketball at all?
2: I am. Um, their dad, Marty, and my dad, Kurt, are cousins. So that's how we're related. That was Caden Hall. It's coming up next. Eliza Tuiaki. He
0: spoke to the media. Get his thoughts after the loss and preparing for Baylor.
3: I wanted to ask about uh, facing, you know, the, the run game. He done so well against Utah State. Boise State had some success with success with that early on. What did you learn about, you know, what, what teams are doing to try and attack your defense?
5: Um I- you know the, the Boise game. I thought that they they came in with a good game plan. You know we uh, we had different fronts that that uh, probably just wasn't uh, wasn't the best against the plan that they had, and it took us uh, a little bit of time to adjust. That we really had to just completely abandon the game plan that we'd practiced and and go to something just a little bit different. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't until then that we, that we were able to slow them down a little bit. <clears throat> but they, they, I thought they came in with a good, good game plan, just different. And you start to see games like. Uh, south florida um you know in the second in the second half uh what boise did really is they came in as a game plan i think you know how uh, explosive our offense is and i think uh you know certain teams come in with with the game plan to, to keep the ball away from our offense and uh really just try to grind out you know drives with with uh, three three yards here two yards there four yards there so you know when we look at um just statistically um you know what we what we End up trying to do, and what we did is, you know, holding them to just a little over three yards per carry and five yards per attempt and pass. I mean, uh, we would normally celebrate that, but where we uh, we we came away feeling like we probably should have held them a little bit more closer to two yards per carry, and uh, you know, a little bit happier with with fewer PIs and then you know defensively in the Boise game we feel a little bit better but we've got to do it we've got to do a better job as a coaching staff myself just uh, anticipating a little bit more of what people are going to uh, try to do to keep our offense off the field um, and uh, you know just just prepare for it
3: speaking of preparation let's talk about preparing for this week and and a Jeff Grimes led offense what's that like
5: a lot like uh, facing what we what we're already facing right now. Obviously, there's a lot of similarities and in, in uh, calls and just the way that they run things and teach things and and so we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of good crossover with our offense. To prepare for it. Um, you know, we know that they're going to be well coached. Obviously, I have uh, a lot of respect for Coach Grimes and and what he does and think that these boys are going to be ready and play hard. So it'll be a good battle.
1: Norma and then Mitch. Um, hey, Coach, so I know last week you guys didn't have – you obviously lost a turnover battle, but previously you guys had been pretty good at being able to get those takeaways. What are you going to do to be able to get back to that against Baylor and maybe even get their first interception of the season?
5: Yeah, it's – you know, we've got to uh, – like you said, we've got to, we've got to be opportunistic and in opportunities that come our way with, uh, um, you know – making tackles and first guy holding them up and, and stripping at the ball. And, you know, some of the things that that uh, I thought Boise did with, with coming in and taking shots at the ball was really, uh, really good. And, and we need to do this. Same thing with, with doing that, and you know I think that they're the, the way that they teach their quarterback. He's well coached. He gets he gets rid of the ball. He's not a guy that holds on to it for a long time. He's got a really really good timing, and and their scheme is uh is, is good. It's hard to defend, and so we just got to keep keep coaching it and keep getting after it, and, and when we have those opportunities, we got to capitalize.
1: Just how hard is it to defend those passes and to try not to draw one of those pi penalties, and, but still wanting to to get a breakaway take away or at least a pass breakup or something just how hard is it to be able to get players to just get it right
5: you know yeah yeah no that, that's a good question i think you you look at uh you look at corners right just corners in general corners in the nfl and just how, how high they're paid i mean to get a lockdown corner um, to get a corner that, that that plays the ball, turns and plays the ball. I mean, you just, it's it's a it's the position group that has to have the the um you know the shortest memory as as far as just something bad happening because because you could really spiral if you're you're just uh you know thinking about the pass interference that you had and when you play a lot of aggressive defense you play man you know that you're going to give up a couple of pis. Um, you know, and there's there's always just argument as far as um, whether one was or wasn't a PI, but uh, we've got to do better at playing the ball. And it's it, it really is difficult. In answer to your question, it's it's a, one of the most difficult things to do is, is play the ball, especially when <clears> – <throat> You have quarterbacks who are very timely and, and, and really throw the ball in spots that are hard to defend. I mean, back sh- shoulder fades or you, so, you see it so much in the NFL now. And just a lot of a lot of the really good passing teams do it, you know, and it's it's hard to defend. And so you've got to keep fighting and, and play all the way to the ground and hope the ball pops out. And we've done that a couple times just in the last couple couple games, which is good. But we've got to we've got to keep turning and trying to play the ball so we can get some takeaways.
1: elisa how how far back does your relationship go with dave aranda and is there any uh moments or memories that you've had with him that, that you'd be willing to share
5: yeah no so i i uh i don't know like i know dave obviously we know each other we were uh we crossed over for about two months before i i left utah state and went to utah um but he uh has he has a really, really rich history with uh, Coach Lamb. I mean, they've known each other for a long time. And then Coach Clune too. He and Coach Clune coached together. Uh, we were all together at Utah State when I left. Uh, Coach Clune Coach and Coach Rand were on the same staff there. And so I think those those guys would be better to ask about those. And obviously, we know each other, respect each other, have the same uh, mentorship with the D-line guy that we go to. It was actually when I when I was at Utah my second year and I got moved from tight ends to the D-line, um you know, I called I called Frank Miley, my cousin, and <clears throat> asked him to talk a little bit of D line. He was like, "Oh, I'm actually headed out to Wisconsin to visit Gary Anderson and and Dave Aranda and Pete Jenkins, uh, the D line guy is going to be out there." So I went with them. That's I got to spend a lot more time with with Dave Aranda there and and uh, you know, really my introduction to Pete Jenkins as a as a D line coach uh, and and his mentorship was through uh, you know uh, Frank Miley, Gary Anderson, and, and Dave Aranda.
1: And and also, I wanted to ask: uh, Will you have to change any signals or play calls for your defense this week due to how much maybe institutional knowledge Grimes, Mateos, and Mitchell have of BYU?
5: yeah I think I think they're thinking about it. we're thinking about it and we've we've just gotta you know have a plan and and, uh, and make sure that we're we're ready for everything that's going on. But there's I mean anytime that you have this kind of familiarity with each other, you know there's uh, there's always a little bit of uh, um, you know just thought that goes into the game plan and and the, the delivery of calls in there just because of of who we're playing. Jay and then
1: Sean.
4: AE, uh, we're going to be talking to Caden Haas here in a segment. Well, I yeah. want to ask you what what was it about him that made you guys switch him over from O line to D line, and just how do you think he's taken to it?
5: <laughs> he's actually sitting right here. So I'm going to be <laughs> bragging about him in front of him. <laughs> uh, no, so he's uh, he's one of the strongest guys in the weight room. I've been mean, on the team, and it's been the same, been that way for the last couple of years, and just it brings a lot to the table as far as. Uh, Strength and stoutness. I mean, he's a the guy that's done a phenomenal job. A student of the game, being able to play o line and and uh, you know come back over to the defensive side and play brings a lot to to the room too, right? As far as um, teaching teaching defensive linemen, just the offensive offensive line thoughts and schemes and all that stuff. And so he's been great for us in our room. But obviously, been a been a great contributor and, and a guy that's uh, that's a starter for us and and playing really well. Sean, go ahead
4: yeah you from uh from one d lineman to another but this time on the baylor side because they've got a defensive lineman and lsu transfer who i think you guys recruited a little bit when he was at east high school in uh, apuica uh if i recall correctly do you remember very much about him and kind of those recruiting days and what kind of a player he was and i i think he had byu on his list but i maybe need to double check that but do you remember much about him uh, from from his high school days
5: yeah I, I recruited him um he was committed to us and we actually are related um and you know it's uh it's uh you obviously want kids to to do what's best for them you want what's best for your program and sometimes it's just not the best fit and you know obviously he's doing a good job um you know being playing, playing at lsu and and getting a chance to uh to play where he's at now i think he's happy and i'm happy for him but uh you know it's sometimes it's just uh it's just not a good deal, and so you just decide to part ways. And and he did that and we're happy for him. All right,
0: there you go. That was Eliza Tuiaki. Coming up next, we're gonna hear from Kai Winningham, coach of University of Utah's football program. Stay with us right here on 975,
6: 1280 the Zone. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. Turn. Turn. Hey! After a bye week, the Aggies look to keep their Mountain West Conference Championship hopes alive as they head south to Las Vegas for a battle against the Rebels of UNLV. Hear all the play by play action beginning with the Aggie pregame show Saturday at 4. From Monday morning to all the play by play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network.
0: Good morning. Thanks for joining us, DJ and PK, on this Wednesday morning, October 13th. Utes has got a huge game this Saturday, for sure. Arizona State coming into town, first place on the line. Let you hear from Kyle Whittingham, who met with the media on his weekly press conference on Tuesday, right here on 97.5, 1280
7: The Zone. We were able to attend the uh, memorial services of Aaron Lowe yesterday. Um, It was great service. Uh, Thanks go out to our administration for making it possible for essentially taking the entire team and all the staff uh, to Dallas for the service and so uh, it was uh, good to be able to be there and and support that and and, uh, it was a like I said it was a great service and and, uh, it was good to uh have our whole team there. Uh, as far as the uh, last game, uh, played ex- exceptionally well on Saturday night. Really, it was a breakout game, I guess you could say, for our offense, and that was really the difference in the game was the way our offense played. Uh, that's what uh, we're capable of, and it was good to see us play up to our potential, Um Quarterback Cam Rising had an outstanding night, put up great numbers, uh, nearly 80 percent completion percentage, and uh, nearly 11 yards per attempt, which is an outstanding figure. Didn't turn the ball over, and so that was really uh, good to see the offense uh, have the success they did. Uh, threw for over 300, rushed for 180-ish, so close to 500 yards total offense, 42 points, zero turnovers. You're not going to lose many games doing that. Uh, defensively, didn't play quite as sharp as as we had been Um, kind of the same problem we've had with USC over the years inability to make enough plays on the ball up the field we got to make more plays on the ball up the field that's not just on our secondary Uh, got to do a better job disrupting the quarterback with our defensive line getting him knocked off of his spot and not letting him sit back there and get comfortable Uh, and then the under coverage by the backers you know it all ties together so when I say not making enough plays up the the field it's not just one one uh, issue with that. Uh, Arizona State this week, good football team. First place in the uh, Pac-12 South, 3-0. They're uh, solid across the board. Uh, Quarterback is dynamic. Very balanced on offense. Uh, Good running back, good receiving core. Offensive line is is playing well. Defensively, they're playing well. And so there really is not uh, any weakness that uh, you can really uh, pick apart. I mean, we got to play exceptional football uh, this weekend, and and uh, it should be a, hopefully a great matchup. So, questions. Kyle, of
4: course, there's you know everyone's going to have an on their mind, but is, is there a sense that there was some closure coming out of yesterday?
7: There was, and that was uh, another positive thing about it is the closing, uh, the closure aspect of it, um, and uh, being able to uh, just uh, have a. a a a service that was able to accomplish that. So, yes. Uh,
8: How do you make up this week since you had to do that travel and get away
7: today? Yeah, we brought the players in uh, Sunday uh, late afternoon, evening. To uh, Their day off was yesterday. And so we we just, it was really, the short version is it was a matter of flip-flopping Mondays, routine to Sunday and Sunday to Monday, and so we're hopefully back on track now, maybe still a couple hours behind, but but we backed up practice uh, about an hour today and meeting so we can catch up a little bit in that respect.
8: Coach, against USC, it seemed like uh, Tavion Thomas had a little bit of a breakout game
1: himself. Um, what did you kind of just think of his performance, especially given that he's been struggling up to, up to this point a little bit?
7: thought his performance was outstanding. The second time he's gone over 100 yards this year. Of course, the opener against Weber was the the first time, and those are the only two games where we really got extensive carries to be able to do that. But as you mentioned, the, the ball security was outstanding, and that's what we're looking for. That was really the only... Uh, well the primary thing that Tavion needed to work on and and, uh, at least for that game seemed to get that corrected so if that continues he'll continue to get the ball and and if we can continue to get that production out of him that uh, is a big uh, help to our offense.
8: He, it's been two years since you saw Jaden Daniels. The first year you followed him up pretty well. You're obviously familiar with him, having recruited him. Mm-hmm. What, what's changed maybe from two years in 2019 to now? And to, how do you think he can, he, he's changed in a way that he can be more of a uh, weapon
7: against the Well, he's uh, two more years experience. That's probably the biggest thing. His style of play has not changed. He's very uh, dynamic, as I said earlier, and, and able to... Uh, make plays uh, with his legs. I mean, he can extend the play as good as any quarterback in the country, and uh, he's, a, he's a good thrower as well. He's a true dual threat, and so just uh, two years of, of maturation and experience in their system and uh, just tightened up uh, his entire game, and so he's an outstanding player, and we've got to try to have an answer for him.
4: Did it feel did really like Von Bailey finally kind of broke out? Obviously, he, he caught
7: the free flicker. He had, I think, four catches. Did it feel like something was happening? It finally did. Finished? It did, and he uh, is, has practiced exceptionally well and, and made plays in practice, and it was great to see that translate into a game and, and uh, target him a few more times than we have been, and, and he responded and made the plays, and that's, that's who we believe he can be uh, week in and week out if, uh, you know, hopefully that's what will happen
8: getting a lot of production out of your sophomores and freshmen obviously last year was kind of a tune up for that but what, what does that mean for your program knowing that you have a lot of these guys that are in key roles right now
7: well it bodes well for the future I mean these guys uh you know on paper at least have uh, three or four more years uh, with us and and uh it's uh, a good nucleus to uh you know for the for the next year's team but but uh you know we've got uh some really good upperclassmen this year. I mean, you know, it's kind of a blend this year, but more – and I'm sure most teams in the country are, are in a similar situation with everything, everything getting backed up uh, one year eligibility-wise by the COVID year. Uh, and so it's not unique to us, but we, we probably have a uh, higher percentage than most teams of those uh, sophomore and freshman kids that are uh, playing for us. Kyle,
5: I wanted to go back a little bit to the uh, sort of service scene, you know, Coach Shaw – some of your players getting up there to speak just what were some of the emotions as you were
7: watching them well it was very emotional and uh, I thought they all did a great job coach Shaw was exceptional uh, as were our players and, and it was good to see um, you know them get up and be able to express themselves and and uh, it's not easy that's not an easy thing and, and it's tough emotionally and and uh, I thought they all handled it well and did a good job Coach
1: Before Terry Young came to Utah, you know, obviously he was in two programs before that. He sort of had a little bit of a one-year road to get here. Um, How have you
2: kind of tried to keep up his confidence while he's kind of been struggling with ball security? Um, the the
7: game. Yeah, good question. I think Coach McDonald has done an exceptional job of handling that situation because Tavian, uh, rightfully so, has been a little frustrated at times, and and Coach McDonald has done a great job of uh, coaching him and, and communicating with him and and uh, bringing him along. And you're right; he's been in a couple programs prior to here, but but he's really he's a great kid and wants to be great uh, on the field and. Uh, we just, uh, you know, has a very high ceiling, as you, as you have seen when he does get extensive carries. And so we just need to continue to bring him along and, and uh, help him become a complete back, which ball security, pass, uh, pass protection pickups, you know, blitz pickups, that type of thing, are, are in that equation as well. And and uh, he's on the right track right now, we believe. You know, we'll see, knock on wood. But, but he's made a lot of progress, and, and hopefully his contribution becomes... Increasingly uh, more during the course of the last half of the season. Be
8: backing off that with the running backs. Obviously, you've picked it up a lot. You've had a lot of different looks. Is it more just going with the hot hand, or is it how, how are you trying to balance that
7: out and give guys? I'd say right now the hot hand is probably the, the best way to describe it. Um, nobody has really settled in and just taken over. Mackay's had his moments. T.J. Pledger had a great game, you know, a couple weeks ago. Um, you have seen Tavion a couple times uh, or in a couple games have, uh, have uh, extensive production. Um, Chris Curry really hasn't gotten untracked quite yet, but he's, he's a valuable member of our team. He's a, he's a great teammate. He's got a great attitude. His work ethic is contagious uh, throughout the position group. And so they're all bringing something to the table. But right now, uh, as you mentioned, it's just kind of who's, who's got the, the, uh, the momentum and the hot hand the, you know, in any given week.
1: Coach, it seemed like the
7: offensive line played really well against USC. What are your thoughts on that group of Glad you brought that up. I should have said that. That was really, uh, you know, the. It all starts up front, and the offensive line had their best game of the season. And uh, it was great to see that's what we know they can be, is what you saw on Saturday. And uh, again, like several other things we talked about, that needs to continue. If we're going to have a chance to to compete for a a South title, then then, uh, that production and that level of play has to continue. Following
1: up on that, since Braden Daniels moved out to right tackle, it seems like the line has really kind of settled in. Is that – do you feel like you've found
7: your best five? I think so, and it's really the uh, best six or seven. You know, Bam would be in that category. Paul Miley would be in that that group. And so I think – and as you mentioned, it seemed to solidify things when when Braden did move outside and, and get everyone settled in. And, and uh, you know, hopefully we can continue to get the production that we got uh, Saturday night. We were
8: obviously banked up a couple weeks ago, right? Um, with, with the secondary and uh, mm-hmm. safety position specifically. Kamowi Latu obviously got a little bit more play. What, what, are, you, what are you seeing from that group and, and being able to kind of take that next step obviously?
7: Yeah, still a little beat up back there. We don't have all the guys at our disposal. Uh, you didn't see Cole Bishop on Saturday. Limited uh, Brandon McKinney. Uh, and, you know, He played you know, a decent amount of snaps, but he was not 100%. Um, but that group needs to continue to, uh, to perform. And I thought they performed pretty good on Saturday, most of the time. Like I said, there's balls up the field that we feel like we should have made plays on. But uh, Kamoi Latu, as you mentioned, he was the uh, Pac-12 freshman of the week. And so that's a a great honor. In fact, we had uh, four awards. Cam Rising was uh, Offensive Player of the Week, as well as a uh, Davy O'Brien Final Eight or Elite Eight, however they term that. And then uh, Devin Lloyd was uh, the Lot uh, Defender of the Week. And so we had uh, some good uh, good recognition, uh, Pac 12 wise and nationally, for, for our guys.
4: Uh, Was that the best game that Clarkville played?
2: in his young
7: career? Uh, That's a good question. He's played some really good games. Um, Clark is still uh, working some technique and fundamental things out that that once he gets all that down, he's going to be even better. But he certainly showed up and had a tough assignment. I mean, that kid is a, a heck of a ball player that he was covering for most of the night. And so I guess there's an argument for that, but he's had some other really good performances as well. I'd have to... You know, take some time to research that to give you a clear-cut answer.
4: Just to follow up what you said, though, if though, he can deal with a guy like Drake London. Is there optimism that he, you know, he won't see a, a tougher assignment than that, and everything is kind of going downhill?
7: Maybe. Well, I don't know about going downhill. He's got to continue to work and get better. But, but that was uh, a great litmus test, I guess, is the, maybe the, the words that uh, of, as far as where he is as a corner right now, and like you said, if he can if he can hold up, and now when you say hold up, you know, the kid still caught, what, 18 balls or 16 balls, but but uh, Clark did do a good job. We're pleased with what Clark did in that game, and and uh, we still think that his best days are ahead of him, though. After
8: a tough non-conference stretch, and then now 2-0 in conference play, how proud are you of your guys for essentially turning this season's momentum
7: around. Exceptionally proud. And, uh, you know, our goal at the beginning of the year is to win the Pac-12. And and uh, so far in this barely getting into the conference play, we're, we're in good shape at this point. Uh, still got a lot of tough games ahead, a lot of them. And so we just got to continue to play it one week at a time. And and uh, if we can continue to make progress, it was great. The biggest thing coming out of that game last uh, on Saturday was the offensive the way the offense played and the way they showed up and, and performed up to their capabilities. Coach, so you've talked a lot. But if we win a few more, nobody will be here, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah, so we'll see.
1: Um, you've talked a lot about Cameron, Rising, and his personality, his leadership, the fact that he's an out dog Do you feel like the guys around him, the offense, um, and even the defense are starting to kind of mirror – his personality and his confidence in, in what
7: he brings to the table? I do, and I think that's that's a good uh, take and a good uh, observation, and he's uh, the kind of guy that is infectious with his leadership and his attitude and his juice that he brings to the table, and, and that is permeating through the rest of the team. Uh, the pac tends
4: to get chaotic, right? Sometimes there's no dominant team, and, and we're kind of seeing that play out here so far this season. Who do you believe is the best
7: team Pac-12 right now from <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question but yeah, I, think, I think the best team right now that we is Arizona State the team we're playing this week and so in the next week it'll be whoever the next team is so so it's uh, like you said it's it's uh, it's so competitive in this league and and uh, there are no undefeated teams left right uh, overall yeah there's no one left that doesn't have a, a loss uh, overall in the season but but uh, it's a very balanced league you got to bring your A game every week and every single week you're going to see scores that really surprise you and uh, so it, it shouldn't surprise you anymore but it does and so that's just the way the nature of the beast in our conference
8: these games have always kind of been pretty chippy, the both State games. I mean, is there anything to that, like a rivalry-type sense, or is it what, – what's kind of a, the
7: attitude You know, I think there's a, somewhat of a rivalry rivalry feel, uh, and we oh. have it with SC as well. But, but uh, you know, just I think really when you've had some close games in the series and, and a little bit of back and forth, that lends itself towards that feeling. That
0: was Kyle Whittingham. All right, coming up next – We are going to go to Las Vegas. We're going to hear from Lincoln Kennedy, who's going to talk about John Gruden and a little bit of Pac-12 football. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280
6: The Zone. It's game. For the Utes in the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. Ice, ice. The Utes return to Rice-Eccles Stadium for a big Pac-12 showdown against Arizona State as the Utes hope to keep their dreams of a Pac-12 title alive. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. Monday morning to the post-game press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
9: DJP Kids, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in Lincoln Kennedy, Raider Radio Analyst, PAC-12 Network Analyst. He joins us on the Smart Rain Guest Line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows. 2022 budget planning is underway. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving check while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Lincoln, good morning.
10: DJ, PK, it's okay all day. Here we go again. How do you guys doing? <laughs>
9: Okay, we will talk some football with you. You know we have to talk <laughs> yeah, I know. I the know. big news, right? It is the headline. And sometimes when you're in the middle of something, you get a question, and you can hear the question and think, man, it's loaded with so much stuff, but what I really want to tell them is over here, but that doesn't really answer the question. But it's really the most important thing. There's a lot of facets to this, and there's a lot of different ways to go. What to you is is the most important one that I should be asking you about?
10: I, I'm, I'm honestly... Still trying to process what I found out in the last 48 hours. Actually, go back to the beginning of the weekend. Um, you know, first of all, not that it's it's part of it, but you know, my my flight on uh, to go to Las Vegas was canceled by Southwest Airlines, so I was part of one of the 2,000 flights that were canceled over the weekend. So I had to drive to vegas from phoenix which is about a four and a half hour five hour drive back in and back after the game uh it was an an abomination of a performance by the raiders lost to what i think is a, a pretty decent bears team all compounded with this information so it was trying to process everything and then yesterday hearing the the, 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 the remarks and the stuff, the rest of the emails that were shared were between Bruce Allen and, and, and Rich, I mean, not Rich, yeah, John Gruden. Um, it's been a little overwhelming. I, I, I worked for both of these guys. Bruce Allen was the team president when I was playing at the Raiders. Part of the reason they got me over from the Falcons to the Raiders was Bruce Allen, along with Al Davis. And John Gruden was a coach and had... Probably you know four of my best years playing under his uh, coaching or in a sort of coaching tree. The people that worked around him never once did I see an inkling of the information that I gathered or I got from the emails or you know heard about over the last uh, couple of days. So this is all surprising to me. I don't know what to make of it. The first you know the first one we heard on, on Friday. You know, the email about the Maurice Smith, the, the, the executive producer or executive director of the NFLPA. You know, I'm like, OK, well, you know, sometimes you have a little bit of slip up. Uh, and it was, you know, when he wasn't in the league. So, you know, Connie, Connie gave him a little bit of a pass. Didn't necessarily allow, but just, you know, wanted more information. Didn't have enough right now to make a to, to make a, a judgment. And then the rest of them and in this state climate, uh, you can't have that. I mean, you've got professional organizations that are changing all of their, you know, uh, ideology. They're changing all their graphics and everything else to try to be more, quote-unquote, polit- politically correct. You can't have homophobic slurs and, you know, and, and talking about people and stuff like that, like that, and racist slurs. You can't have that. You can't tolerate that. So, with that being said, was really surprised last night when the news came down from Mark Davis and the Raiders that they're letting him go. Uh, but at the same point, understanding why they had to let him go.
0: Yeah, in my mind, as I read through it, and I don't have a depth of it because it's happened so quick, but just the headlines, basically, you you ask yourself, does the punishment fit the crime? And at least for me, and it's a personal opinion, so take it for what it's worth, but
9: I think the answer is yes.
10: Absolutely. I I agree with you. I I think it is yes. And I think it is, you know, would you have to... it's part of the times you know the the fact is is that we're trying to become a better country I guess and we're trying to focus on things that for people for a long time people just let slide and allow and it's created some you know uh, some separation and respect and 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 we need we don't need more hate out there we need more love out there we need more kindness and happiness and tolerance if you will Uh, so you know having these remarks made by somebody Who's in a very visible position uh, and one of the more, you know, popular uh, iconic teams in professional sports. Just professional sports alone, because it's the entertainment. You, you can't have that factor, you know, hovering over someone's head.
9: Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst, joining us. I think the, um, you know, I think the next chapter, the bigger story to look at here is. The league will punish players, and the league will punish coaches. But will the league hold owners accountable the same way? And I read some stuff about that last night. You know, the 650,000 emails, and there are people who believe it just stretches the bounds of credibility that these weren't forwarded and commented on by a lot of people. And the toxic workplace goes back to Dan Snyder. I will say on Dan Snyder's behalf, and I can't say I can't believe I'm saying anything on Dan Snyder's behalf, but he's not likable, and there are people who want to crush him for that. Now, that aside, maybe he's not likable because he's said and done a lot of stuff in the way he's treated people and what he's overlooked. Do you think the NFL is sitting on info about him? Because clearly stuff was selectively leaked about Gruden to make Mark Davis make a decision and make a move and get rid of Gruden.
10: Yeah, you know when when the whole Washington football team changing its image, getting away from the Redskins, and trying to find a new you know mascot and everything else came out. You fought, you heard about all these stories about Dan Snyder and his relationship with women and the toxic environment that he created within you know the the Washington football team's organization, and and then you heard about the possibility of pressure being put on by Roger Goodell and the other owners to maybe relinquish his ownership rights of the team. And I've always been with the mindset, like, how are you going to force somebody to sell something? You know, but at the same point, I'm taken back to the time um, when the, the Benson, who owned the, the Saints, when he was still alive... That they were unhappy with the way he was running the organization, they thought he was running the ground, and there was there was speculation and rumors out there that they were going to try to get it from under him. And then Hurricane Katrina had happened, and you know they they they, the the NFL wanted to make sure that they gave the the people New Orleans something to to look forward to. And of course the Saints ended up winning Super Bowl, but that's another conspiracy theory for another day. But long story short. when it comes to Snyder and other owners, I'm always curious on how they're going to force the hand of powerful men or powerful people or powerful conglomerates like that. Uh, but there's where there's a way, will there's a way? Well, there's a way. Uh, they find, you know, I, I think they they can get things done, especially when you look at. Buffalo—it's a completely different situation. But the Buffalo Bills, speculating that they might go to Canada or move elsewhere, how it was able to find some ownership to be able to keep that that team in Buffalo for the time being? Uh, things like that have happened in big big business. It goes on behind closed doors all the all the time. We just, as the general public, have a hard time figuring out how it happened or why it happened, uh, and, and see if, if that it can happen again.
0: What? Coach Gruden wrote was obviously we agree unacceptable to believe the punishment fits the crime and all that stuff. I'm wondering through your years of experience and interaction with uh, dozens and probably hundreds if not thousands of people had you heard anything any inkling at all regarding Gruden with those words did actions meet the words because words are words and it's not good I'm not condoning it at all but you'd have to think action would be worse than the words because then you're putting it into play so do you know of any instance where anybody has anything to say regarding his actions connecting to those
9: words
10: honestly no honestly no I've, I've had my time in dealing with Gruden I thought that we were pretty cool with one another we were always on you know the high speaking terms I never got an inkling of a feeling that, that he felt that way. Never. Never saw anything, never heard anything, never felt anything. Uh, so that's why it was so surprising. You know, in, in a number of emails. And then, the, 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 you know, the things that, that were shared. Him and how as I said at the top of the, the interview, I, I worked under those guys. right? You know, and never had a sense, never had a feeling that way. Now, guys will be guys. And I will say this, it's not excusable, but, you know, there was, a, there was a time in my life, in my 50 years, where I've used some of those words. I'm not a saint. I've used some of those words. And it, I don't think it necessarily meant it at all. I mean, I've used them in the context or a place in which they were talking, and this is just what you know, people do at times, yeah. not saying it's excusable, but you would expect better You would would expect better out of people who are in positions of power or positions like that. Now, Gruden, mind you, at the time when he sent the emails, was working for ESPN as an announcer. I don't know if he ever planned on getting back into coaching again. But the fact that he sent them to a team website or a team email, the Washington football team, made it public. He had to realize that this was going to be public. Or things that were done in the dark will eventually come to light, and the fact that the you know the the, the New York Times and the NFL was you know uh, investigating Dan Snyder, so that's one of the reasons why they were going through these things. You know, you had to feel or had the suspic- had to have the suspicion that eventually they would come to light and hurt you and bite your ass, and, and that's exactly what they did.
9: So obviously the football part is not even remotely close to the most important part of this, but the football will go on and people will wonder about it. Is this Raiders' season shot? Can this be a playoff team? They had a bad game in Game 5. I don't know how much this was known inside the organization and how much that played a factor in a performance that didn't look nearly as good as some of their other performances. What do you think?
10: Well, I will say this. Um, On the football side of things, I think it's actually good for the team, because here's what I've I've thought for forever. I wanted Gruden to relinquish play calling as the offensive coordinator, mainly because I wanted somebody to take the emotion out of it. I thought that Gruden wasn't able to see the field clearly, being down on a sideline, calling it from the sideline, and no other coaches do it. But I've always been of of the mindset that an offensive or defensive coordinator needs to be upstairs, needs to see it from a bird's eye view, like I do as an analyst, calling the games and take the emotion out of it. Call the game logically and what you see with the flow from your vantage point. You can't do that on the sideline. So if there's one promising sign that might come out of all this, Derek Carr and Roman know this offense, Olsen know this offense um, back and forth. Uh, if anything is to be had from this, it's the possibility that you, you get the play caller upstairs to be able to see everything, which might bode well for the offense because they do have weapons, and this is a talented team. They were incredibly flat this past Sunday against the Bears. I don't know if the, if the information that they heard about the, the email or the possibility played into that, but they were incredibly flat, no rhythm. And, of course, you always, I, I always give credit to the other side because those guys get paid too. Chicago Bears came out with a great game plan. Game plan. They ran the ball down the Raiders' uh, throat. They were more physical on both sides of the ball, and the Raiders were soundly beat. That happens.
0: Showdown here in Salt Lake City Saturday night. Who do you buy more, the Devils or the Utes?
10: How about those Utes, huh? Yeah. Yeah, how about them? Um, Really well played. I got to finish watching the ESC film today, uh, and ASU looked, looked, looked strong as well. But ASU has given Utah fits in the past, so um, it's it's one of those games of whether or not you think they can get them. I think the Utes are ready for them. I, I think they are. I think they've had enough warm-up, enough challenges through this season to say that they're ready for ASU. I expect it to be a close game.
9: UCLA's already got the loss to uh, ASU, so if yeah. ASU wins this, they are it's sitting come. pretty uh, and UCLA's got a difficult game this weekend. Do you think UCLA pulls it off, or are they going to back out of this race all all on their own?
10: No, I think they pull it off and they make it interesting. That's the great thing about the Pac-12. I, I like the competitive side. And, and and nothing is a foregone conclusion, A conclusion, especially, well, I guess, we're in the middle of the season, if you look at it that way, um, the possibility. But I think UCLA is going to make it close, uh, and it's going to be decided between the, the winner of this game, between ASU and and, and Utah.
9: So,
0: Lincoln, being a Phoenix kid myself, I always stop to get uh, Coke Zero in Wickenburg. I do not stop in WikiUp, but I do stop to get gas and maybe a snack in Kingman. How'd you handle that drive? (laughs)
10: Look, I tell you what, guys. It was not, it was, you know, Saturday... I think around was it around two? I think around two or three. I got the text message on my phone that my flight had been canceled, and I was supposed to leave around seven that night. So I was like, you know what? I got to get up to Vegas for the game. So I, I jumped on the road. There was a lot of traffic going into Vegas because there was a, a big weekend. Yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a big sports weekend. You had the the Fury and Wilder fight right. on Saturday. You had I think the Aces played the the, the Mercury um, and, yep. and the and a they playoff did. game on Friday. Yeah. Uh, of course, you had the big game Sunday. There were a lot of Bears fans coming into town. It's it's a big sports weekend in Vegas. So there was a lot of traffic going up there. Had a couple accidents. Probably took me about Five and a half, six hours to get there, uh, the, and I was not happy. By the time I got there, I was not happy. No, I wasn't. I was, I was dog tired. I was not happy.
0: Well, thank it's, goodness they put the bridge over the dam, and also exactly. the freeway, so you don't have to go through Boulder City anymore.
10: True story. True. Very, very true story. I mean, I was thankful for that. But there was a couple of there was a there was an accident on the on the uh, on the, uh, the, the the ramp of, coming out of Kingman. Um, there was an accident there, and there was also another accident that slowed things down. So it just made things rough. While doing the game and seeing that pathetic performance out of the silver and black, I'm like, man, I still have to drive back. <laughs> and, I, and, 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 of course, I wanted to jump on the road because I knew it was going to get dark quickly and, and wanted to get on the road. And it, was, it, was, it took me about five hours to get back. But I was so doggone tired and so doggone frustrated <laughs> with the performance I saw and everything else. I was just like, I just want to forget this weekend altogether. And then, lo and behold, Monday night. I get the information and my phone starts right off the hook about Gruden. I'm like, Oh, you've got to be kidding me I said it just doesn't it just doesn't get any better than this so, or any worse than this. So it's been a it's been a trying weekend and I'm still recovering, but <laughs> look I I've gotta worry about from if, if Southwest is gonna to continue to cancel these flights because they're the airline I, I I use. I'm not driving to Denver, damn it. I'm not driving <laughs> to Denver, so we gotta figure out something.
9: Oh uh, maybe Frontier.
10: <laughs> yeah, maybe, huh? Yeah. <laughs>
9: All right, we appreciate it. Thank you, Lincoln.
10: Thanks, guys.
0: All right, there you go. That was Lincoln Kennedy. He joined us yesterday, and it was real important to replay that for you early morning risers because he knows John Gruden, and obviously that's a huge story in the NFL. Stay with us. Thanks for joining us. Coming up next, what is trending the 7 o'clock hour? Thanks for listening right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone.